Not bad, eh? What? But you're, are you British? You're from, wait, hold on, Wales, Manchester? What is it? Wales, okay. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Sapnin Podcast. Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to Sapnin Podcast featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards, the hot mess of the podcast, and I'm bringing <laughs> Sassy back, but also finding comfort in what you hate. This week's guest <laughs> is singer, songwriter, lyricist, bassist, TV presenter. Um, Jesus Christ, what else has he done? Um, band looker after. And all-round legend in our scene, the mighty Gabe supporter of Midtown and Cobra Starship. Woo! Viva la Cobra! I didn't think we'd ever get Gabe on the podcast, and not for any particular reason, but just the fact that he doesn't do interviews anymore. I haven't seen him do anything in quite a long time. I'm very ecstatic that he wanted to come and talk to us two idiots um for this i mean what a generational pop culture figure in alternative music with two different bands at two different times for completely opposite reasons midtown are regarded today as such a staple from that early 2000s emo punk scene of new jersey we had frank iro and tucker rule just talking about them on here not so long ago really leaving an influence on a lot of people in music growing up. And that ends, he completely flips the switch with Cobra Starship, embracing neon clothing and pop hits to alternative kids like me in peak 2009, and then steps away from the stage altogether to start his tag music management group, working with younger artists and making this whole business a rearing success. This guy is a creative genius and damn knows how to write a hit. And I mean some hits. Mm-mm-mm, yes. Um, I completely forgot about the song until after the podcast. But yes, he did the Snakes on a Plane soundtrack fucking movie title song. I completely forgot about that. What a fucking tune that was. But yeah, we get into everything with Gabe. Early Midtown days to Cobra Starship, to what he's up to now and why he's doing it and advice for people. And yeah, this was a super interesting conversation, which we enjoyed very, very much. 
Yes, and what's really exciting is Midtown are doing stuff again. They had a reunion in 2022, did a loads of those MCR dates uh, in the US due to a phone call from Mikey Way Direct. So we can all thank him for helping out with getting these back together. And because they've been doing shows, so many people have been bombarding their comments wanting them to do new music. So what they've done is they've done the ultimate joke and they're releasing a new EP titled We're Too Old to Write New Songs. So here's some old songs we didn't write. Bunch of covers, brilliant name. Genius idea. Absolutely genius idea. Well done to all involved in that. I'm so excited. That comes out May 26th. You can pre-order it now and go and check out some... uh, Current covers they've released of Lagwagon and Pavement and Cobra Starship even um, ended 2021 with two unreleased tracks to kind of say a final goodbye with everything completely um, from the band. And we're going to be getting into that in just a little bit and just really talking about what's been going on behind the scenes, the legacy of his work, interacting in the rock and pop worlds, dealing with fame and how quickly that came along. Some ridiculous stories from his early days and we even get into the time pete wentz leaked his phone number on worldwide television and his crossover with gossip girl because it's me we have to bring that up if you enjoy this episode or any other of the episodes uh, that we have released so far there's fucking loads of them give us a follow at sapping pod on twitter instagram and the tiktok um also if you really 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 enjoy this podcast and are thinking hmm how can i help these chaps out check out patreon.com force us happening there's loads of stuff there and uh you get to meet some fantastic fantastic supportive humans in that group yes that's patreon.com forward slash happening but without any further ado this is gabe supporter on episode 228 of sapping podcast Sapnin! Sapnin! Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Sapnin! 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 Sapnin, fellas. This week's guest is vocalist, lyricist, bassist, former sometimes TV presenter. Oh yeah, I forgot I did all that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you did, yeah. (laughs) And um, frontman of two fucking amazing bands, Midtown and Cobra Starship. Ladies and gentlemen, Gabe Supporter, how are you? Good, good to meet you guys, man. Thank you for having me on. No pleasure, pleasure. We uh, this is this, this is one we've always wanted to do, and I know you re- don't really do too many interviews and stuff these days. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, how's things just for you at the moment? What's life looking like uh, in the in the Gabe household? Oh well, the Gabe household is a fucking madhouse. I have three <laughs> boys, uh, <laughs> uh, and all under six, and uh, yeah, it's 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 insane over there. Um, and in the office, it's pretty insane too. I have my other children here in the office and they're a little more well-behaved. They can clean their own tissues at least. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you'd hope so. Otherwise the office would be awful to go to work in and you don't want to, you don't want to. I don't want to deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's in my contract. I don't have to clean anyone's butt. (laughs) Yeah. That's always a good cause, but. Gabe, to start, I mean, I really wanted to ask about your mindset over the last few years in particular, because it, it must have been a whirlwind of emotions. You haven't been an active onstage musician uh, since 2015, and then at the end of 2021, you put out these kind of the, the final nail in the coffin with Cobra Starship, putting out two unreleased tracks, and then out of nowhere, Midtown get back together, play shows of My Chemical Romance. Um, and you're mixing that in between all your business work. I just like, the, how was the thought process being for you with all that lately? Has it been going through a, a lot of emotions, a, a lot of feelings and, and balancing everything th- these last few years? Yeah. I mean, you actually caught me at a very, uh, a fortuitous time because I really literally was just doing uh, a written interview, uh, on the announcement of, we're, we just announced that we're, we have a, a label partnership with Atlantic, which is where I was an artist. So I, I just got asked a series of these questions. So I've been thinking about that a lot this morning already. So, so I, I'll, I'll have some good answers for you about my mental state. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess like when, when, you know, I got to a point making music where, um, I mean, so many different things happen, you know. Like w- one of the things that happened is I watched uh, this movie uh, Supermensch story of this uh, famous manager called Shep Gordon, who's directed by Mike Myers, who put off some powers and met on the set of that one because he managed Alice Cooper. Alice Cooper's in the movie. Anyway, so he's talking in the movie about managing artists and then he moved on from managing artists. He actually invented the idea of the celebrity chef. And in the movie, he talks about how he loves dinner parties because when you do a dinner party, you buy some food, you cook it, you serve it, people eat it, they go home, it's over, you know? 
when you're an artist, it's like, and you manage a band, it's like, okay, they, they write the songs, you put them in the studio, you go on tour, you write some more songs, go back in the studio, put another album, go back on tour. Like, you don't know when it's over, right? And that was just like, mm. how, how the, when the fuck do you get off this thing? You know, and I'm sure for you too, Sean, you know, I'm, I'm sure you probably, probably felt that too. It's like, well, at what point do I start my podcast, you know? Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but so I think that was like kind of the impetus uh, of, of me, you know, I, I felt like I spent, almost half my life on the road. I, I got to do everything I wanted to do. Um, I felt like very blessed. And I think that once you, you accomplish a lot of things, your mind either goes into two mentalities, right? You either go to the place of like, okay, I accomplished these things. I got to this place on the mountain. This is my fucking spot. Like no one else better take it from me. And I got to make sure I'm always producing and doing stuff so that, you know, I'm at the top of the mountain and this is mine. Right. Um, and I think I just come a little bit more from the mentality of like, there's just like, I think it's also like a, a little bit of a punk rock DIY mentality. It's like, it's, it's a tradition, you know, it's like, it's like you get to like run with the baton for a minute, then you got to pass it. You know, you don't get to hold it forever. Right. And like most of my favorite bands, you know, broke up, disappeared, faded away. And what was important about them was not that they live forever, but the moments that they had, you know? And I think that that's really like, what's special about music is we're doing everything we do is like, we do it for moments. Right. So like when you ask about like my mindset, I have to like stop and think about it because like I have my head down doing the things I need to do. And then once in a while I got to look up and evaluate it and like take, take kind of like a, um, a census of like where I am, you know, like, like an audit, let us say of like where I am, what I'm doing, where, where things are at. So, yeah. So I, you know, I think I, I kind of wanted to just, uh, pass the baton in a way I wanted to work with other artists. I wanted, I, you know, even, even when I was an artist, I remember when I was like 20, I managed armor for sleep and like help, help them get started. And like, yeah, people don't know that. And like, I always, I always wow. love that. I, I, I love that part of, of music of like helping other artists being passionate. I'm like, I'm a guy like, you know, maybe to a, to a, to a fault. Like I love the early stages and stuff. I love getting my hands there. I love to build things, you know, once the thing is like moving and it's working, like, I kind of get bored, which is actually like a really bad thing if you want to have a long career, you know? So I, I actually like, that was, the, you know, that, that was the talk. My, when I started Cobra Starship, my manager had to talk to me like, Gabe, like I've seen your career. You're like, you're kind of like are, are in some ways like early on things. And if you just stick with it for like five years and just don't like move on to the next thing, like you'll be successful doing it. And that's kind of what I did with Cobras. I was like, I had this idea. I had this idea about, you know, electronic music and rock being loud and colorful. I mean, you know, you have to remember like this is the time when Mike Kim was the biggest thing in the world. Everything was black, mm. dark, depressing. And like our, our counter to that, like our counter narrative, which I thought in a way it was like kind of punk rock. It's like, okay, everyone's black and dark. Like to me, it's punk rock to be like loud and obnoxious. Right. You know? And like, that was kind of, that was kind of our idea of Cobra and we stuck with it and it worked. So, you know, just sticking with something, I think has, has a lot of value. And I, I try to do it, but at the same time, I'm always like, I like being early. I like working with artists. I like developing things. And so, I, you know, I knew I'd get back there some, some, some point. I felt like that was the right point in my life after, uh, you know, I had a couple hits. I was like, cool. This, this was amazing. I'm still young enough that I can start something new. Uh, and so I did. Hmm. That doesn't answer your question about why I did the Cobras <laughs> and Midtown stuff, but that was like the general <laughs> mindset. I can, I can talk about that too, if you want. I just don't want to talk forever, if you want. No, but that, that this is, we love hearing what your thought process is going through it with these things and with what you've just said i mean it must be realization for you betting on yourself when you're at the height of cobra and then all of a sudden you're like no i'm not gonna do this i'm gonna start 
looking after different bands and you wanting to move on to other things. Is that something with these moments that you've been quite proud to be like, you know when it's time to fold them and when it's time to hang on to stuff? Man, I, I don't know if I know or not. You know, I, I think I think probably, you know, like, again, I'm, I'm also not really motivated by money. Like, you know, obviously, I want to be able to eat and have money and, and, and be successful. But to me, success is like waking up in the morning and being super stoked to go do what you whatever you're going to do, right? And then that's, that's primary. And then secondary, you try to figure out how to make money doing that, right? Which is like, um, you know, and, and that, that's, that's the dream, right? To be able to do what you love for a living that you don't want what you're doing for a living to suddenly become a thing that you hate, right? And that happens a lot with, with, with artists and musicians. That's why you have so many like depressed musicians, right? Because they got into music because it made them happy. And all of a sudden they're not happy. I felt like I had a unique perspective on that. having gone through that myself. And I think that like, I wanted to share that, you know, I want to share that with other artists and impact that them in a positive way, you know, and the best way I found to do that was by being their label partner. Right. And, and especially in today's new music world and the new business, like how do you have a label relationship that is successful for everybody? Like I, I, I really like to create win-win situations. I don't, I don't, you know, a lot of people think winning is like getting the most they can and the other person, it's like a zero sum game. I don't believe in that. I think that like everyone can win. Right. And the way everyone wins is you have to, you have to be able, you have to be willing to leave chips on the table. And I think with Cobras, I love chips on the table. I could still be doing Cobras now if I wanted to. Right. But, but, but I didn't, I didn't want to, I wanted to like leave a legacy, leave, leave chips on the table. And so then the question is, okay, well, why did I, did I do shows this year and the Midtown thing and all that? So I think part of the issue was, you know, I stopped doing it. Another part that I, that I talked about is just my personal life. I just, I wanted to have kids, right? And I didn't want to have kids and then be an absent dad. I wanted to be there for my kids and watch, be there as a girl, but I didn't want to be on tour 10 months of the year. So that, that's, that, that's a big part of it. But the only weird part is that my kids just didn't know me like that. They never saw me play a show. They never mm. saw anything. So kind of two things happened at the same time, which is uh, Mikey from my chem called me. He's like, oh, hey, would you guys get back together to open some of these shows? We're getting back together. We'd love for you guys to get back together and do some of these shows with us. <laughs> wow. Fuck, dude. I mean, like, if there's an opportunity for my kids to see, to see this place in front of 15,000 people, to, you know, I would love for my kids to have that printed memory of their dad not like wasted in front of 20 people at some shit hold bar and check. <laughs> oh, that's a cool, that's a cool one too. Maybe, maybe one day we'll have that, that, that member. To them too. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I, I took that opportunity. And at the same time, it, it was, you know, uh, Fuel by Ramen was doing this whole like 25 years of Fuel by Ramen. And they were like uh, doing special limited edition vinyl pressings of key albums. And so we took that opportunity with our pressing. I, I didn't just want it to be like this, like, Oh, here the label's printing time records. So we wanted to put a couple of unreleased songs on the vinyl. And then the label's like, well, we can't just put it on the vinyl, not put it on Spotify. And I'm like, fuck, if we put it on Spotify, we got to like make it a thing. So we made it a little bit of a thing. We did a video for it. I thought it was kind of funny to, 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 to keep it to like, you know, but again, these are B-sides. These are songs that weren't good enough to make the record, but we just wanted to share them. They're just sitting on hard drives, uh, you know, for 10 years. So we, we put them out. Uh, I like the songs, but even in the video for the song, the, the the midtown thing was ready in the works, but we hadn't talked about it yet. But if you see in the video, there's like a sign in the house, like a little poster that says "Living Well is Best Revenge," which is like our Easter egg that midtown was coming back. So nice, it was cool. Yeah, 
Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I love an Easter egg and stuff. <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. But with that as well, I'm sure just looking back at these kind of memories and these moments, it was an interesting time having to, you know, put in that final nail in the coffin for Starship, starting back up Midtown and just seeing so much love and connection with those audiences as well, because it seemed that you had that that bleed over a bit with you saying goodbye to one and reopening another. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I had had said goodbye to Cobras before, you know. Mm. Uh, So, you know, I made an official announcement when I... I didn't want to, like, half-ass things or disappear and I'll say anything. And and I just said, in 2015, I just officially stopped Cobras and I said I was going to start TAG. Um, before I even had an, uh, an idea of what tag was or what it was going to be like, uh, my first employee was was someone who DM'd us, DM'd me on on Twitter. It was like, "Hey, do you guys need interns?" And she was with me until her last week was last week. It was very sad. She she got married. Wow. Now she's going up to the next stage in her life. But she was with wow. me from like she, she she was still in college when she started working at tag, you know. And and I think that that's like the music is is more than just the music. It's the community. It's the people that you get to be on this ride with. And I think that as an artist, I just had an opportunity to be on the ride with so many amazing people. And like, there's so many shady people in the business and so, so much just bullshit you have to deal with. I feel like I'm glad to like create a little like safe haven for people to have a sense of community. Yeah. Well, you mentioned then when you, uh, you, you had no idea when, about starting tag. What, what, yeah, what was the first step after, after leaving? Literally announcing it. I moved, I moved to LA because like also at the time, the whole music industry in New York had collapsed. Like all the studios closed down. You know, two things happened. Real estate prices were going through the roof. The record business was in the shitter because of like Napster and stuff. So there was like all the studios had, had left New York. Labels were shutting down. So, uh, and, and young people graduating high school or college couldn't afford to live in the city anymore, you know? So they were either going deeper into Bushwick, Brooklyn, or just moving to LA. So a lot of young creators were in LA. So I moved to LA to be around young artists. Um, and I had no clients, um, no business, nothing. I just had, a, you know, a ton of people that I knew and nothing to call them about. So I literally started working on anything and everything that I could just to like be in the mix and get, and, and get moving, you know? Um, there's a saying that my dad used to say in Spanish, the path is made through walking. So I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to start walking and see where it leads. And at the beginning, you know, especially in LA, the first thing you can, if you just want to be in the music business, in LA, you can just work with writers and producers and you can just fucking set up sessions all day. Right. Um, and so that's what I was doing at the beginning just because it's like, I got to meet a lot of young artists, creative people and, and, and just be in the mix of what's happening. But ultimately the writer and producer world, it's great. The songs being made are important, but, but your customers quote unquote are like, artists or A&R people that you're trying to pitch songs to, right? And I'm, I'm really much more democratic. Like, I love going straight to the people, you know, like you're an artist, you write the songs, the people tell you if it's good or bad. You don't need like an executive to tell you if your song is good or bad. So, you know, eventually I wanted to work with artists and I started working with artists. And, and what I found was that there was like a lot of young artists that either didn't want to be on a label or were like, not big enough to be on a label, but still could have businesses just because of the way the music business was changing, right? You could put out music independently and make a living. You might not be rich, but you make a living, but it's not enough money for like a a big label to work with. But that actually creates a vacuum where you need like 
smaller independents who can super serve smaller artists, but don't have, they're not these behemoth things with hundreds of employees that they got to support that they only can focus on hits, right? So that was kind of the impetus for, for me going from management to having a label. And then I had a great talk with, uh, with Brett from Epitaph. He was telling me, uh, he was telling, he was talking to me and he was telling me how he, you know, he was going to start taking a step back from like the daily operations of Epitaph. And he told me the person that he was going to promote, the one that I knew. And I was like, oh, why not like your GM or like, you know, your CFO? It wasn't a person who was already an executive. It was like, it was not an executive. And, and, and he's like, Gabe, what's the one thing you need to be able to run a record label? And I'm like, you know, I'm like starting a business. So I'm reading business books. And I got my business <laughs> head on. I'm like, uh, great time management, great leadership. <laughs> like, you know, I'm giving him like all these business things. Like, no, dumbass, you got to know how to make records. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, if you want to run a record label, like all those other things, you can get a great person to like, run your books or, or do any of the business stuff, right? But at the end of the day, running the record label, you got to know how to make records. And he, and it, it inspired me. And he told me, he's like, you know, I think you can, you can have a great label because you know how to make records. You've been in the studio. You can talk to artists about making records. And I'm like, huh, that's my value. Like I can do a lot of other things pretty well. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I work hard, all these things. And like, but ultimately like, I spent so much of my time in the studio and I've worked with these amazing producers. Like I, I know how to make records. That's, that's a, that's a great skill. So, so that I felt like, and then I just remembered, I'm like, yeah, a lot of the A&Rs that I worked, even though if they were great people, some of them just lacked the vocabulary to just be able to, to understand how, how actually making records works. Like, you know, what's happening inside the, the, the computer while you're making the record, all that stuff that I just knew how to do. I, I didn't realize I knew how to do it because you know, you spend so much time doing something you never really study for. You're just like, oh, this is something I actually know how to do. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, label. That sounds right. You know, <laughs> that must be nice now that you're at a stage in your career where you can offer that advice to people. I'm sure it's very refreshing almost every day when there's something new to have a, to have a look at or there's a, a, a exciting artist or there's a different kind of project and it's not just the same old thing day in, day out. Yeah, I, I think like, you know, and I think the unique situation that I'm in is that because, yeah, I was in a band and we toured all that stuff, but I also had pop hits, right? Mm. And the pop game is like, it's kind of like its own thing separate from the music business, right? And there's like pop production, pop song structures, all these things. And so I know how to do that, but I also don't have to do that, right? I don't need a song to be a hit for people to like it, right? So it's almost like, I have that knowledge that I can share with artists, but I'm also not trying to push it on, which happens to a lot of, you never signed to a major, right? You guys weren't at up. But like a lot of yeah, fans, when they, sign, when they sign to majors, they feel like this encroachment of this, uh, of this like invisible hand of the business trying to push them into pop, right? And, and what, what happens with the pop thing is like, is it kind of like, it tries to package things in. It's like, okay, verse, chorus, right? You know, like you have to put things into more formulaic because you're trying to appeal to the most amount of people. And so you need to follow you need to present things maybe a little more simply sometimes to get people in the door. Right. Which, which I get, like I've had, I've had pop it. So I, 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 I try, I've written songs. Like my first pop hate good girls go bad. Like we did nine different versions of that song, right. To find the perfect 
the perfect version wow. of it, right? Oh, wow. How things fit with each other. Yeah. So it's like, so, you know, and, and that, that kind of refinement process is something that, that you find more in that part of the business. You don't really, you know, when you're, when you're band, you go record the record, you go into a studio, like how it was with Midtown. You just go in, like for better, for worse, that's what comes out. And the song evolves as you tour. As you tour, you find that like, oh, I, I want to put this part here. I want to do this a little differently there. And like, that's cool. The song keeps growing and evolving. In pop, you got to figure all that out before, you know? Yeah. You do spend a lot more time in the studio, less time on the road. How was that going from Midtown in that kind of punk, emo, underground scene to then going to Cobra Starship and being re-cemented in pop culture around that time? You know, uh, it, that led you to do a lot of those kind of TV things of MTV or the VMAs and whatnot. There's a lot of crossover into what was going on in, in trends and stuff like that. Was there any kind of moments where you had to like take a step back and be like, what the, f- the hell is like this going on? Or was it just kind of natural because it was something completely different than what you were doing before? It was a choice. It was a choice. I remember like with Midtown, you know, so I'm 23 years old. Midtown had already been through, there's three major label systems. Midtown had already been through two of them. We did, you know, we run drive through, which was uh, bought by MCA, which was part of the universal interscope system. That's what it got, it, it got into. Then after that, we did our third album on Columbia, which is part of the Sony system, right? It didn't work on both those, those systems. So I'm 23 years old. I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm going back to school. Like, you know, I had, I had two shots, right? Um, even though my manager at the time says, you know, gave a lot of artists like say they got fucked, but you really got fucked. We signed right before both those companies had huge mergers and like executives were getting fired. So no one's trying to break Midtown. They're trying to sell as many Beyonce records as they can to keep their job. So even though I was like, okay, I've had two shots. Like I'm, I'm good. I'm going to go back to school. And I had a friend that said to me, she's like, this was a friend of mine who worked in fashion, she worked at Diesel and she hooked up all these bands. You remember guys for a time there was like, everybody was wearing Diesel. My friend, my, my friend Kelly, she just, she, she, she gave, she just gave free shit to all the bands, right? That's why. So, so and she, she went to a lot of shows and she's like, Gabe, I go to a lot of shows. I, I like, I'm telling you the, the presidents of the companies, they don't come out to see these other bands. Like they're coming out to see you because they think there's something special about you guys. And if you just get out of your own way, you could be successful. And I'm like, wait, are you saying I'm the problem? (laughs) (laughs) So, so I made a choice. Like, listen, by the time I was like 23, 24, I had already, you know, I'd been told about 16. It's almost 10 years on the road by that time. And I'm like, okay, well, I could take all this information and and knowledge that I've gained these years and I could forget about it and go to school and just try to get like a real job. Or I could like really try to give it a go and get out of my way. And that was a choice that I made. I said, I'm going to, take this as far as I can go, not be precious about it. Try to listen to other people. Like I never listened to anybody. You can tell me nothing, you know, like, like I was just like, did what I wanted, argued with people all the time. I was very good at arguing. So like, I remember there was this one time, uh, the, you know, the cover of, uh, of our third Midtown albums, forget what you know, like it was a, a guy in his seventies in front of a television set. And they're like, how is this going to sell records? You know, like, what, what are you trying to say? And to me, it was art. Like, I'm trying to express an idea, right? Like, like I'm trying to express the idea of alienation. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then the only picture of us was like on the inside and our faces were all covered with tape and we looked like demons. And they're like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, you know, this is not who we thought we signed. And I remember like all the executives, I, I guess they called my managers. My manager was like, listen, I, we can't tell Gabe what to do. If you guys want to give it a shot, give it a shot. So I had like five executives like, just trying to convince me 
to not do that. And eventually I just wore them out. Just like, fuck this kid, you know? <laughs> and so I, I just decided not to be like that anymore. That's really it. You know, I just said, okay, like this is a music business, it's not the music art project. If I really want, it's a privilege that I have to be signed. Oh, we lost it. It's a privilege. I have to be signed. It's a privilege. I, I have to try and do this for a living. If I really want to be able to do this for a living, I have to figure out how to, how to listen to what other people have to say. Like this is other people's jobs too. Right. So we all got to work together. And, uh, that took, that took me like almost 10 years to figure that out. But when I figured it out, make it work. Yeah, but it's really interesting to hear those differences and especially on the pop culture side. And one thing I did want to bring up, you, you mentioned Girls Gone Bad. Um, obviously that features the actress Lita Meester, who at the time was everywhere with Gossip Girl. How did all this happen? Because I wanted to talk about this for a reason, because you then ended up being on Gossip Girl in one scene on season five. And that show was so big at that time. It was like literally everywhere, big part of pop culture. How did all that happen? I've wondered for years about this crossover. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, you know, I, I kind of have a... a, a a love-hate relationship with pop culture. Like sometimes I'm just like enjoying it and really paying attention to what's going on. I'm like, oh, hmm. this, this is great. Like take the piss, like amazing. Other times I'm just like completely like have no idea what's going on in mainstream culture. And I'm just like in this completely alternative universe um, in my own world, you know? Um, but at the time of Cobras, I was just fully immersed in, in pop culture. Like it was also a time when pop culture was interested in what we were doing, right? Not just, Cobra Starship, but our whole world, our whole world was like a part of pop culture. Like, you know, Fall Out Boy were monsters. Like they were like on the cover of J14 and Teen Bop magazine. So it was, it was kind of like, it was very natural that there was an overlap in those worlds. And the kids who were coming to our shows, they all loved Gossip Girl. I remember kids, like I was on the road and this was before there was like satellite TV on the buses, but everyone, you had a little DVD player in your bunk. And kids would like burn DVDs of Gossip Girl and bring it to me at meeting greets. It's like, hey, I got you the latest, <laughs> latest episode of Gossip Girl that you missed because you were playing a show last night, you know? So, so kids already knew that I loved Gossip Girl. I talked about it. It was like a fun thing. And then just by chance, and this is like, this is why I always say like success is when preparedness meets luck. You know, we were just prepared. We were like doing the right things. We already had, had done two albums. We already, uh, you know, we were touring our asses off. We had a big following. We were working on our third album. In the studio that we were working at, they're like, oh shit, we got to cancel your session tomorrow. We have one of the gossip girls coming in tomorrow to record. And I'm just like, what? What the fuck? She's making a record? Like, like okay, I'll let you cancel my session, but you got to tell her that she's got a feature on one of our records. And I said it as a joke, and I already had Good Girls Go Bad. I had the record, so they could play for her. I, mean, I said it as a joke, but the but producers at the studio played it for her, and she loved it, and it just happened very organically, you know, because she was she was looking to break. She was looking to break into music. She was working on music. Right? So it just happened that it just, you know, um, and I think also the producers that we're working with, Sam and Sluggo, Sam Hollander, who, who just he just wrote a book. that I haven't read it, but I heard it's a great book. But at the time they did, you know, they did us, Panic, Gym Class. They were working out of the same offices. Their students in the back of the offices of Crush, which was the management company that managed all of us. So it was very organic and they blew up as producers because all our bands were blowing up, right? 
So everyone was calling them. So it's kind of natural that the Lady Meester's team called them. Like, oh, these are the hot new producers. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I was going to expect to say that a major label came to you and was like, she's got to be on the song. But the fact, yeah, that's awesome. Very, very organic. Shit only works when it's organic. You you talked about the the nine different versions of it. Has anybody heard any of the other eight? Oh, good question. I don't think so. Dude, it was so slow at the beginning. It was, and it was such a boring beat. Yeah, we, 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 it was our, it's funny because it was our first co-write session. The writer on it was Cara Diaguardi, uh, who's an amazing writer. I just saw her last week. And she just did Gale, you know, the ABCDFU song. She signed that artist. Oh, nice. Oh, that. wow. She's, she's an incredible writer. And she's also like, you know, like we're from New York. We got a lot of attitude and controls and, and, and funny. Like it's not like we came to like writing such like, hey guys, we're in the pop. Like we were still like fucking asshole New Yorkers, like talking shit, you know? And like, so you have to like, you have to, I think you have to uh, have a certain personality to, to, to find that endearing. Kara found it endearing as opposed to us to go fuck ourselves. Or maybe she wants to go fuck herself. Then she found it endearing. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, she just, you know, she's just like, okay, tell me what ideas you had. So I had like a whole list of, of, of like lyrics and song titles and stuff. And that was, I make good girls go bad. It was one of them. And she just like, she's like, Oh, I like that. And just in her head, she goes, I'm making them go, go like right there. Like that. She just wow. heard that melody in her head. Yeah. So Class. again, that's something, that's something I'd never experienced before. You don't experience it. Like when you're like in, in, in the alternative or punk world, like, you don't have like someone come in and just like a professional hook person. Like, what is that? You know? So that's what she is. A professional hook person. She just came up with this amazing hook. So we have this like great hook. That was a starting point, this great lyric that I had and this great hook that she, melody hook that she had. And we really had to build a song around that. That's like a different way of songwriting, right? It's like, you have, you're like, okay, like, Hey, I have this piece of gold. I'm going to build around it. Um, and, and we did. And like, it's funny, you know, nobody, the label didn't hear it. They're just like, what is the song? Like, so we, we went through so many versions of it to like really bring the song to what it, what it was, you know? That's mad. That's mad. Yeah. I appreciate you talking about that because that is a song that still gets played massively in all the alternative clubs, especially over here. Fuck yeah. And, uh, and, and speaking about that kind of infiltration of that alternative world in pop culture, one of my favorite ever memes is when you have Pete Wentz walking on the street and Bruno Mars is freaking <laughs> out in the background. That's my favorite thing. Well, Bruno, Bruno, Bruno co-wrote two songs on that same record. There's what? actually a song with Cara Diaguardi and Bruno Mars. Yeah, Bruno. First time I met Bruno, they were just writers. Bruno, Bruno and Phil, which are the two guys in that photo that you talked about. Phil is Bruno's partner and Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars is two people. People don't know that. So, so he's so, Mars. Yeah. <laughs> he's Mars. Bruno, Bruno's Bruno. <laughs> Phil's Mars. Nice. The other guy's name is Phil and they write everything together and they came in. And they basically like pitched us an idea in person. They just came in, like sang it, and we're like, wow, it was great. And it was a song uh, called um, Living in the Sky with Diamonds on the same album. And then I had Hot Mess, which I just had this great chorus, but the verses weren't right. So Bruno wrote the verses for that song. Well, I never. Fucking hell, we are learning today. And Kara helped me with the bridge of that also. Yeah. Well, I never. See, I love, I love all this random connection it's between the best, people. It's the best you, bits, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it also shows how small the industry is. Like, I don't think people Very understand. L- looking back at that time, though, is there um, any piece of 
clothing or swag or anything <laughs> like that from Cobra Starship, which you look back or you find in closets or wherever now and you're like, can't get away with that today or <laughs> that, that, that's absurdly colorful. Well, obviously the purple hoodie, I think the purple hoodie still, still holds today, you know? So, but I think um, the black and white checkered pants, really skin tight black and white checkered pants, I don't think anyone can get away with those today. No, no. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think, to be honest, yeah, you were one of few could at that time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't even think I got away with it then. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you did. You did. But yeah, there was, a, there, was a, there was a small window of about 365 days where those pants are acceptable. And yeah, you, yeah. you found those days and everybody else didn't. Yeah. 20, 2010s oh. was weird fashion, definitely. Um, oh, very sp- much so. Speaking of um, Pete Wentz, though, I have to ask you for this story because this is another thing I've always wanted to talk to you about is when, you know, you're just out there presenting the VMAs and then all of a sudden he has a T-shirt on with your actual phone number. Um, oh. <laughs> what was that actually like for you? Amazing prank, but must have been very uh, hard on you afterwards. And fucking annoying. Messages. It's got to be fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah, That was also my first time ever presenting an award, right? So Pete had done it a bunch. Pete had done it a bunch of times already. So it was like whatever. He was just pooping around. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prank my friend. I'm already nervous up there. You know, Pete first. He's taking his clothes off. I'm like, what's going on, bro? I didn't even understand. <laughs> and he's in front of me, so I can't see his shirt. So I gotta look at him. I'm like, ah, oh, geez, Pete, what the fuck, you know? Um. Yeah, I, he, he really got me in that. I, I had no idea. But, you know, I just had to change my number. I, I had already had to change my number a couple of times since then. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was peak, uh, peak stardom era. So crazy, craziness. Yeah. Um, how long after? I'm guessing you changed your number like the next day because that yeah, night yeah, it yeah, must was, have been fucking nuts. <laughs> I just turned my phone off and that was it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't uh, fucking Pete. Changed yeah. my number, yeah. I still remember that number, 917-400-0979. That was a good number. Did you ever get him back with any little other pranks that maybe people don't know about? Or I tell you what you could do. You could give out his number right now. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sorry, yeah. He had, to get, he had to get my fucking face tattooed on his body forever, so I think that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of the... Um, the last couple of years with Midtown in particular as well. How was it like for you stepping back on the stage in front of all those people again, especially playing songs you, you hadn't performed in such a long time? I mean, those My Chem shows were so special all around the world. People have really talked about it um, a lot, but I'm sure kind of opening for them, getting to do it and, and your kids seeing you as well must have felt like a, a really full circle, wholesome moment in a, a lot of different ways. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it's like a high school reunion in a way. You know, the Midtown guys, I grew up with those guys even before we were in Midtown. We started Midtown when we were our first year in college. And before that, when we were in high school, we were all in different bands that played shows together. That's how we all knew each other. So it definitely felt like very wholesome. You know, everyone has kids now. I'm the only lunatic still in the music business. So they're, they're, they're like normal dads. And, and it's just like everyone's just doing it because they love it. There's no other reason to do it. Uh, there's no agenda. There's no like trying to turn this into something. So it's very pure and it's really just about the music. And, you know, with the My Camp shows, we actually played two shows 
before starting the MyChem run, which I think was crucial because I think if we would have started with the MyChem cold, it would have been a little nerve wracking, you know, just because it's like they're MyChem fans. They don't know who Midtown is. So we had to win them over in a way, right? And we hadn't played in, you know, 15 years or whatever it is, right? We played um, like a small club in Chicago with the Academy A's. And the next day we played at Riot Fest. And at Riot Fest, you know, we played right after Jimmy World was finishing. And Jimmy World had a huge crowd. And we were like on a different stage. And we're like, oh, shit, there's going to be no one to see us. And like literally five minutes before Jimmy World was ending, it like poured in like 8,000 people came out. And I was like, I was like shaking. I'm like, holy fuck. You know, I fucked up a couple of times at the beginning of the set because I was nervous. But then it was just like so like gratifying to see all these people. I mean, Midtown never played shows that big when we were together. So it's like the music kind of lived on after we were gone. All these new fans and, and old fans were singing along. And I'm like, oh shit, this is sick. So then I felt confident to do the, the My Camp shows. And then we played, and then we played two headline shows in our hometown in Jersey. Again, we never sold out one of those venues. We played two nights at the same venue. We never sold out one night at that venue, the 2000, 2000 capacity venue. And like, you know, we sold 5,000, t- or like 25, I don't know what, 5,000, 2,000 tickets in 24 hours. So it was just like, wow. So it, it was very like, to me, honestly, that's the best part of it. The part that you can just create something and it still means something to somebody 20 years later is unbelievable. There seems to be such a, a love for that music from 20 years ago as well. I know a lot of people kind of talk about nostalgia and that that's its own kind of uh, thing. But especially with, with Midtown and all the bands you used to play with around that time, it seems that there's so much more love and appreciation if you ever do something again. again. Have you noticed that scene has just gotten a lot more um, a lot more different eyes from the generations who didn't get to check out the first time? A hundred percent. Like I can even tell like the artists that I'm signing who are, are these young artists, teenagers, 17 years old, 18 years old, they love that music. You know, I have one artist who their favorite artist, their favorite band is AFI and they know wow. everything about AFI. Yeah. So, so I think that's great. I think it's cool. I think what it really says is like people are not consuming what's being offered to them in mainstream culture and they're looking for alternatives. And it's there. And I think it's a great time. You know, I think that, you know, when Cobra Starship started, it was kind of like the beginning of the end of that world. You know, we kind of survived when the scene died in a way, right? Because we had electronic elements. So we were able to like, kind of really be in the pop world and be in 2012. There was, there was no scene in 2012. So it's great that 10 years later, it's like all, all anyone's talking about, you know? So I'm excited by that. I feel like it's we're right at the beginning of it, and um, I'm excited to to be here for it. Nice. As the um, surely an offer has come in from when we were young festival for a Cobra Starship appearance. Is there any uh, a chance? I, there, didn't, I didn't get. I didn't get an offer. Like what? Surely. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fucking. Oh, when we were young. I know you listen every week. I, they don't. Fucking what? Sort that out. That's yeah. But would would you would it be something that you would consider? Would you ever consider doing it? I'm not opposed to it. I, I think if we if we ever do cobras, it just has to be the right thing for the right reason. You know, I think I think with Midtown, like everyone's head was in the right place. Uh, you know, I don't think I'd really want to do cobras without the original lineup. Yeah. 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 It was my cam, and you know. 
we, it, the funny thing with the Mike Kemp thing is, is, is Mikey heard, we were already talking about it. Mikey heard about it. So that's why he called me. So, so we had already been like on that page, but you know, I'm open to it. Um, Alex, uh, well, I broke my finger during the Midtown tour. So I couldn't play a couple of shows and Alex from Cobras ended up playing bass, uh, I mean, which is which is like a really like world, world colliding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of, kind of moment. But yeah, I think, I think with Cobras, you know, if everyone wants to do it, I'm, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm also, I'm, I'm very busy. much about like, <laughs> no, it's not even that. I'm just very much about like, I'm just trying to just like flow in the way the universe wants to go. You know, so if the universe yeah. wants it, I'm, I'm not going to subscribe to it. Yeah, yeah. It, from from everything you said, it does seem when things are natural, that's when you're most excited. Midtown doing these shows, of course, people comment straight away about you wanting to do more tours. You probably get come to Brazil as the running gag. Uh, <laughs> every every band does. Every Everyone gets. But then the next thing people ask for is new music. And what I love is you've this gone is full 360 with it. And instead of writing... <laughs> new stuff you've just put you're putting out an ep called we're too old to write new songs so here's some old songs we didn't write yeah yeah well yeah, done. It, <laughs> it, it all stems from conversations like this where everyone's like okay when's any music when do everyone want the music and i'm like but do you really want new music you know and I, I, you know and it's like it's like people like the old songs but they want they want to hear they want to hear some of the town stuff so i just felt i also maybe it's just me being being a coward i don't know but I, I, you know, I've, I've written seven albums between Cobras and Midtown. That's a lot of fucking music that I've written, mm. you know, plus all the songs that didn't make it. And I think, you know, I think the amazing thing about a song is that it documents uh, the mind of the artist at that moment in time. And Midtown documented a certain part of my life that I'm just not in right now. So I feel like if I, well, you know, it, it leaves me only two options. Either I'm honest and write songs for where I am right now, which is completely off brand to Midtown, you know, write songs about like changing diapers and shit, or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> punk rock diaper changing. Surely there's something there. There's gotta be something there. Yeah. Or I try, or I try to, uh, to go back to the place I was in my early twenties. Um, which just to me feels inauthentic, right? Like maybe I could get back there and fake it, but it's just like, I'm not there. So, why, why do that? So I, I thought it would be a good opportunity to at least just like, you know, use a release as a, a love letter to some of our favorite songs, you know, shine a light of some, on some artists that maybe didn't get their due. And also just like share with people our inspiration. So mm. that, was, that was kind of the impetus for doing it this way. Such a good idea and such a great name. Well done. You win. Yeah. Thank you. You, you win. <laughs> EP names. <laughs> Must have been fun revisiting those songs that you've grown up with as well and thinking, oh, how would we have done this? Or how do we want to present it to people who maybe they've never heard these bands or these songs before and you get into shine, uh, as you said, a, a new light on it? Yeah, it's, it's really fun. The, the really fun part is, you know, some these, re these are records that came out, the one that's out now and the one that's coming out on Friday are records that from the 90s, right? So like pre, you know, genius lyrics, you know, you can't just look up the lyrics if you don't have them. So <laughs> it's funny because when I went to sing it, there is definitely words that I thought were the lyrics that were not the words. So, but I sang it the wrong way anyway. So if anybody catches that, but you know, 
They can, they can, they can yell at me on Twitter about it. <laughs> One of those bands is Lagwagon. I know that was uh-huh. a huge influence, especially when, like, in your late teens. Um, is it true that you once snuck backstage at a festival to do a fake interview with uh, the band? Yes, it wasn't a festival. It was at Coney Island High, a club in New York. I literally snuck downstairs to the backstage room. I'm like, hey, I have a zine. I work for so and so zine. I don't even know what thing I said. Can I interview you, Joey? And he's like, yeah, after the show, come, come to, come to, uh, come, come to the van. Uh, so I, I, uh, I interviewed Joey. I asked him like a bunch of like, I think he, he told me like, wow, these are really great questions. And it was just like questions that I just generally wanted to know about what it's like to be in a band. This was before I was, I was an artist, you know, like I was just like, wow, I love music. Can I do this for a living? I'm like 14 years old, 15 years old. And, and I think, I think the, the stuff that he, that he told me just like changed my life. I, he, he told me one thing, he goes, you know, I was never like a, a great singer, a great musician, but I just loved it. And I just would keep banging it out until something good came out. And I think that's always just been my attitude to songwriting. Like, you know, I, I think when I was really young, like a little kid, like I always liked rock and roll. Like I remember loving Guns N' Roses when I was young. And then Nirvana came out and I'm like, oh, I can do this. It's not like a big production with big hair. Like, you know, when, when you see like fucking metal from the 80s, it's not like you don't look at it and feel like, wow, this is inspiring for me to want to be a part of or try to do. It's like you feel like you're watching like a fucking Broadway production or something like you're like, oh, this is cool. This is like some grandiose thing that requires this institution behind it. That That's cool that it's made. I have no idea how it gets made or who did it or what, but that's, it's cool. When you saw Nirvana, you're like, oh, these are dudes playing in the garage. I can play in the garage with my friend. And I think that was the beginning of like the, the punk rock revolution was that was this like idea of like a garage band from Seattle. You know, it's like literally it, it could be your life. Right. So this was like when I, when I went backstage live when I was like 1995, only like four years after Nirvana happened. Right. So it was like in the shadows of that, that I'm like, oh, Here's some bands that are actually doing it. What's it like? And yeah, that was the beginning of it. It's awesome to hear that stuck with you and helped so much as well. Is there any other moments throughout your career or just maybe like the early days where you got yourself into situations where you thought, wow, I can't actually believe like this is happening or you had to like second guess yourself, take a step back and, and let it all sink in. I think going to Japan was crazy. Like, and this is a weird thing. Midtown was fucking massive in Japan for some reason. And, and like we had people at the airport. Like it was like, uh, you know, before, before I had any success with Cobras, we would go to Japan and we we're like celebrities, people following us around the streets, like crazy shit. And I'm just like, oh, Japanese fans are very enthusiastic, you know? <laughs> Fast forward, you know, four years later, I go back with Cobras and Cobras was not big in Japan. And we just got there and just like crickets. And I'm like, oh, the town was really big here. <laughs> like there's something special about Midtown Japan. So even to this day, like like I, I went there a couple of times and, and I saw like older fans like, oh my God, you're from Midtown. Like they don't know Corporate Starship in Japan, they know Midtown. So I thought that what? was like, very weird. Uh, super weird. That's very strange. Yeah. Someone explained to me the early, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, like punk rock wasn't happening um, nationally in Japan. So they were importing all of it. And then all of a sudden they had a lot of homegrown acts. And so, so those acts were the ones that kids were listening to. So they stopped importing bands like Cobra Starship and, and Fall Boys as much as like they were thirsty for it in the early 2000s. 
one of the, one of the dudes that was on drive through with me, I think he was in a band called Alistair. He ended up moving to Japan and became like a famous musician in Japan. He speaks perfect Japanese. I can't remember his name. Um, wow. Yeah. That's mad. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's crazy how different territories can pick up different things and, and it can just work out like that. I've always found that kind of <laughs> mad how, uh, how the stars align with, with those kind of things. Did you ever do Brazil with Midtown? I did. I did. <gasps> well, no, I, I did Brazil with Cobra Starship. Okay. <laughs> how was that? Well, the funny thing is everyone says come to Brazil. Cobra Starship was massive in Brazil. We were massive all throughout South America. Oh, I remember one thing that's crazy. My 30th birthday, I'm on vacation. This is Good Girls Go Bad just come out. So we're on our third album. I go, I have, I take a birthday vacation with my girlfriend to Mexico and I'm like, she's sleeping. I'm watching MTV in the, in, in the hotel in Mexico. And they're like talking about, they're doing like the countdown show. And they're like, this week's number one comes from a band from New York City, blah, blah, blah. Starts talking. I'm like, what? And it's fucking Cobra Starship. Uh, <laughs> number one. I'm like, what the fuck on MTV number one? Like, and, and you know, and I think Cobra Starship because like, you know, I had some songs in Spanish. Like, I really wanted to do because I, I was born. I was born in Uruguay, South America. So I, I really wanted Cobra Starship to have influences, also rhythmic influences from that. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I included that in there. I spoke more Spanish. I, I really, you know, so I think like it appealed to that. It was big in Mexico, huge in, in in Brazil. Apparently, like the whole neon thing, like influenced the whole like swath of bands in brazil and then at the end of cobra Starship, the last tour we did was we opened for justin bieber in south america so we were playing stadiums all over wow. south america like 50 i think we played eighty five thousand people in chile um but yeah it was it was crazy south america was was incredible for us and i think like a moment for me was like being in buenos aires because i'm from uruguay buenos aires is like Uruguay is kind of like the New Jersey to Buenos Aires is New York, if that makes sense, right? So it's like right across the river, like people go to Buenos Aires for shows all the time. And like all my family and people and friends from Uruguay are all at this big show watching me open for Justin Bieber. You know, they're like, because I think people are just like, they don't have a conception of it in like a small country. Like, well, you do music for a living. Like to them, music is the guy on the corner, like busking, right? Show or like the guy at the restaurant. So that was cool. Yeah, that, that, that blew my mind a little bit. Yeah. Can, I can imagine. <laughs> you were the king of, yeah, you were the king of Rio for a while. For the screen. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised they haven't got a big statue of you on a mountain just doing big arms. Oh, yeah. There, there, was a, there was a big billboard we played with in some Rio Festival. And there's like a big billboard with my face on it. I'm just walking down the street. I'm like, holy shit. Dude, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I've absolutely loved these stories, Gabe. Uh, just as we, as we start to wind down, because we know you're a very busy man, we appreciate you. Uh, taking the time for all this. Um, you've talked very openly and passionately about Midtown and everything in between. Um, obviously, this new covers EP is coming out May 26. But is there kind of a plan with the band now? Or as you said, is it just kind of focusing on what seems natural? Do you think you do more tours? Are you not kind of pushing it? Is it just kind of see what offers coming? I mean, how are you treating Midtown and, and just being the musician side of your brain at the moment? I, I think, you know, I like this idea of, of, of these tributes that we're doing to our favorite songs. We're doing four right now. You know, I'm not opposed to doing more. I think for, if we do more, maybe we'll, we'll have like our fans kind of decide what songs they want to hear from us. And I also like the high school reunion vibe of it. Like I'd love to do like a once a year New Jersey hometown show 
and just for our family and friends and like have our kids come like that to me would be sick. Yeah. Nice. Uh, apart from that, I don't really have big ambitions for Midtown. Tag records on the other hand, it's going to be fucking huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Please fi fire away. Who, uh, who are you looking after? Who should we check out? Who's the next big thing? Who's going to be um, the next King of Rio? We signed uh, our, our new signings. Uh, Jules is dead and Sophie Powers, both from Toronto. They both make different kinds of music. Sophie Powers, it's funny. Sophie Powers is kind of like more like Cobra Starship than this electronic, uh, kind of like fuck you music. And Jules is dead does, it's like, uh, it's, they're the ones that love AFI, you know, so much darker, nice. aggressive rock, rock music. And then we signed this band out of Argentina too called Pacifica that we're about to launch that are just, uh, they, they, they sing all in English, amazing musician. Yeah. And people, people are just excited about them. Like all, all of these artists, even before releasing music officially, we've just built great followings. And, you know, I, I just take like what I've learned about, you know, just building community and, and, and having a relationship with your fans and just doing it all on the internet. And with all that, is there one piece of advice you would give either people trying to get into music or just creative and trying to bet on themselves in this long process of, of trying to, of not giving up and, and trying to push through everything? Yes. I, another question I just was asked, is, and I think if, if I had to sum it up for one word, it would just be pause, right? With everything you do, like people, especially in today's world, because you can do things fast. You can record a song right now on your computer and put it up tonight, right? Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Like if you pause, like take, you write a song, pause, come back to it next week with fresh ears, right? You want to you wanna get into a fight online, pause and just think about it. You know, like you don't have to always be putting out content, putting out new stuff. Like if you look at the artists who are the biggest, they take long breaks, right? You can't be missed if you don't go away. You have to really take, take the time. If you want to last, don't burn yourself out. That's really important. Like, What's going what's gonna to give you success is, is your mental state. You know, your mental state is the most important. There's no, there's no joy in making money if you're not enjoying it. You know, you know, success comes from having staying power. And having staying power comes from not burning yourself out and, and having a good mental state, right? So, like, I think mental health is, like, a big, uh, a big aspect of everything that, that I try to, try to do with my artists. Having been a fuck up myself for so long, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we can all attest to that. We can all attest. We've exactly. all had the room. We've all had room share, and we talk about mental health on this a lot. So yeah, a great uh, last few words. But Gabe, thank you so much for taking the time it's to do awesome. this. Honestly, it means so much. Wanted to speak to you about these kind of things for so long. So I really do appreciate you taking the time. Excited for this new EP. And uh, yeah, if you're ever in the UK for anything, or you want to bring oh, Midtown to, to, a, to a British yeah. festival, um, please do. And we'd love to do this in the flesh. We'd love that. Morgan, Sean, thank you guys both so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yes! That was Gabriel supporter of Midtown Cobra Starship and Tag Artist Management. What a fantastic chat. Never thought it would happen. And here we are! (laughs) I was ecstatic about it, literally. I remember seeing Cobra Starship stuff all over Kerrang! and Scuzz TV as a kid. And I had so many friends who had those kind of neon shirts because of them. Good Girls Go Bad is still a hit song that gets played everywhere, all alternative nightclubs here in the UK. And yeah, it's just nice to pick his brain about so many stuff. Um, hopefully we'll get some of those Midtown shows uh, over here, this side of the pond, eventually. Surprised they haven't been booked for any summer festivals. But he is a very, very busy, very busy man. Very busy man looking at the, uh, after other artists. Yeah, you would have thought like somebody like Slam Dunk would have got in touch with them. They would have been perfect for that. Um, but I imagine it's probably go check with Alid. But yeah, it was a good, uh, fantastic chat. It was nice to see um, Gabe chilled out in his New York office. What a mad, what a mad career! What mad adventures he's been on and done. And yeah, Midtown, pop punk, punk to Cobra Starship, Uber Pop to now band management. And yeah, don't forget to check out some of the bands that he mentioned as well um, that he's looking after. Because uh, no doubt they will be radical, as the Americans yeah. say, which is American for real good. I'm looking forward to that one artist he said is influenced by AFI because we love some fucking AFI uh, on Oof. here. But remember, Midtown will be releasing that wonderfully titled covers EP. We're too old to write new songs. So here's some old songs we didn't write. May 26th. Go and pre-order it now. Uh, links to their website and social media. You can check out those two current uh, tracks on the release from Lad the Wagon covers and a pavement uh, track as well. Uh, that's available right now. Um, speaking of things and people doing stuff and, you know, ongoings in the world, worst segue I've fucking ever done. <laughs> but if you follow us on our social media pages at Sapping Pods on Twitter and Instagram, you would have seen uh, this week that we have announced another live podcast for this summer. Oh, nice. Yes, we are doing 2000 Trees Festival. 
Um, we are performing on one morning, I want to say it's the Saturday. Yes, the Saturday, uh, July 8th on the Word stage. We're going to be telling some bad jokes, talking to people and uh, having a laugh in the flesh. You'll be of- telling bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be telling good ones and I'll be ruining it with a pun and then making everyone boo. It's a lovely time. It's a lovely time. If you're in the UK, come down to 2000 Trees Festival uh, in July and we can have a laugh. Yeah, it's like a sampling pantomime, it is. Um, <laughs> oh, no, it's not. He, he's behind you. <sighs> Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Pod. And if you've enjoyed this, why the fuck would you enjoy it after what he's just done there? Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, if you want to um, support... Me, not him anymore. Go to patreon.com forward slash sapnin and uh, check it out. There's a whole load of different tiers and stuff for you to check out. And um, yeah, you can meet some of your new best friends and get some people to come with you to 2000 Trees because I know a bunch of different people from the group are going. And if it's anything like last year, we'll have a big meetup and we'll all hang out for a bit. So yes, that's patreon.com forward slash sapnin. Also, thank you very much to James and everybody at 2000 Trees for inviting us back. I cannot wait. Yeah, it's going to be a good laugh. If you head over to our Patreon, there's loads of gig guides happening over there as well where people are posting that they're going to certain shows. Uh, Not just in the UK, there's people from Australia, America, Germany. It's literally crazy. So if you listen to this and you want new people, new friends to hang out with, go to festivals, go to gigs, patreon.com for starts happening. Uh, embrace yourself with the community and have a lovely, lovely time. If you head to the description of this episode, there's loads of names there that we need to thank. But as always, Sean is going to give a massive shout out to the elite members of our Sapman Podcast Patreon community. Those are the champions uh, with the top tiers. Nice. Thank you very much. Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi Liwaway, Janelle Caston, Paul R. Swank, Urshfield. Ha ha ha, see what we've done. Thank you very much. Tony Michael, Scarlett Chotton, Kelly Ewing, Dilly Grimwood, Natasha Morris, Nathan Croshaw, Mitch Perry, Emma Barber, Sammy G, Kat Besson, Dana Lazava, Jenny Robson, Scott Jones, Murray Grimwood, Amy Dawson, Amy Louise, Stuart McNaught, Ellen Southfield, Stephen Aston, Caroline Robinson, Kate Patek, Martina McManus, Louis Cook, Danny Eaton, Carl Pendlebury, Jenny Munster, James McNaught, John and Emma, Emily Perry, Jason Aredia, Emma Evans-Roberts, Craig Harris, Sean Foynes, Kalila Keane, Adam King of the Goss Parslow, Ollie Amesbury, Josh, did you hear about the giant with diarrhea? It's all over town, crisp. <laughs> Thank you very much, Alice Wood, Reese Bowling, Cal David Smith, and Connor Lewins. Thank you very much to all of those people and everybody, like Morgan said, that's mentioned in the description. If it wasn't for you guys, this would not be possible. So thank you very much. Um, we love you very, very much. Stay safe. Wise words. Thank you. And, uh, oh, that's it then, I suppose. Yeah, we just got the end. <laughs> Jesus, I forgot the, forgot the ends of these work. Sapnin! Oh, lady. You're listening to Sapnin Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, thank you very much. <laughs>